0: I had uh, this retreat I was overseeing uh, with the pre-men scholars this weekend, but two things. Uh, First of all, uh, how many of y'all heard Ann Carter sing 10,000 Reasons last week? How many of y'all were touched by that? Yeah, everybody. Uh, And this was the Sunday for her to be baptized in the first service. I ain't going to miss that. So I had the uh, honor of baptizing Ann Carter in the first service, and I knew that in the second service we would be recognizing two people who have become ridiculously special to me, and one is the universally adored uh, Annie Ham, and the other is the person who's about to speak and offer grace along the journey, and that's Caitlin Hayes. Could not be prouder uh, of a student of mine. Uh, she wouldn't want you to know this, but... Uh, She's going to Candler School of Theology and is receiving the Woodruff uh, Fellowship, which is the largest thing you can get. It's a full ride, plus a 10000 stipend. I'm sorry to just throw that out, but that's just, I'm proud, okay? That's not easy to get. It's the highest um, scholarship that they offer, and Caitlin got it. Uh, The thing I love about Caitlin is she's not only a great student and a great person, but it's hard for a college student sometimes to really immerse in the life of the church, but she's been incredibly active here. Working with uh, kids, with youth, um, working at True Vine, uh, uh, going on a mission trip with uh, Blake and company uh, in Barcelona next month. So, I mean, she's uh, just fully immersed herself in the life of this church, and I, I just couldn't be proud of her, prouder of her, and I just demanded that I get a chance just to introduce her real quick. So, Caitlin, come on up, and uh, we love you and, and couldn't be more fond of you, and thank you for letting us be a part of your uh, spiritual development and be your church family while you've been here, okay? Get up here so I can hug you.
1: Hi. Um, So they asked me to come and speak about my time at Brookwood, and I was like, wow, how do I even begin to frame that? Because you're all so wonderful. Um, So I thought I'd start at the beginning. When... I was a freshman looking for a church, and I had, of course, I went with a checklist of the churches and the things that I was hoping to find in a church, and I was hoping to find a congregation that wasn't just like me. I was hoping to find a congregation of people that were in all different stages of life, and I was looking for a church home. And I was looking for a place that would challenge me and not one that I would just be able to come in on Sundays and leave and not think about again. And I found Brookwood and it fit all of those things and more. And I have loved every minute of being here. Some of you might not have seen me. Um, I've been with the kids a lot, being able to work with the children's department and the youth and seeing them grow and realizing when you walk into a youth room that you are not the coolest person in that room because every other youth in there is way cooler than you. That was was a very cool experience. And in just getting to see them and to grow alongside them um, here lately, I've been helping Miss Sylvia in the preschool department, and they're just so cute. I just, they just melt my heart. I just don't even know what to do with them. Um, but one of my favorite things to see is when the parents drop them off, and they're like, yes, we know that you are going to take care of them, and we're going to go and worship God, and we'll be back. Um, but it's that time, it's that moment when they come back, and it's just that relief, like, oh, my heart is back with me. And that's the relief I feel when I come to church. So, (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking at Dr. Barnett because I'm going to blame him. (laughs) And, yeah, just thank you for being my constant during school because every semester everything is so different. And there's always something new and a new challenge. But I just thank you for being my tribe. our scripture reading this morning is Ephesians 4, verse 1-3. through 3. You will find this in your pew Bible on page 828. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love.
0: Always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind, and bind yourselves together with peace. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Being of one mind, no matter our differences, becoming a unifying church member, a unifying <clears throat> missionary member. What does that mean and how do we get there? Uh, you, if you are a fan of, of sports, you perhaps have had the experience at one point or another of having your team look like on paper it was going to be a really good season. Like the talent was there and the coach was great and it just looked like this is, everything should go well. There's no reason this shouldn't go well. And perhaps you've seen a, a scenario where there's a dynamic on that team that there's no, problem with the t- there's no problem with on the court or on the field, but there's a tremendous problem off the court or off the field where there's some kind of conflict, some kind of disunity in the locker room where people are saying negative things about each other, questioning the coach, saying uh, bad things about their teammate. And you know that as you watch that, that train rate begin to unfold, that eventually some changes have to be made in that, in that atmosphere. It's very hard to be focused and to accomplish exactly what the team is built to accomplish if there's just a distrust, a genuine dislike, a questioning of character, a questioning of motive. When you have that dynamic going on, when you step onto a field or a court, it just seems to take the energy out of the team. It takes the joy out of the game. And likewise, that same kind of negative scenario, it can happen anywhere, not just in athletics and sports, but in the workplace. You can have some really all-star employees, and you can have all the resources and a really strong budget and all of that. But if there are interpersonal problems in that team, it can really work against the productivity of that team and make it where it's it's just not functioning as it should. In, in the same way, in our homes, in our families, if there's a sense of disunity, then the home, instead of being what God intended it to be and what it's supposed to be, kind of your, your place that you come back to, it's a happy, it should be your place where you're comfortable, safe, happy. If there's a lot of disunity and discord, then it becomes more like the exact opposite. It becomes the epicenter of anger or strife or stress, and then you find yourself wanting to, to be elsewhere, to be running errands or to be working late or to be doing something other than living in that stress. Well, I know you, you might not believe this, but even in the church, there can be disunity. And when there is disunity, a lack of, of oneness, it really begins to eat away at the very fabric of a congregation and what the purpose of a congregation is about. This past Wednesday night, we spent time in a quipping group after dinner, kind of taking a little walk through the history of the church and just hitting some, some highlights, or, or lowlights rather, of, of different times throughout the 2,000 year history of the Christian church where, where there's been significant strife, where there's been turmoil, and there's been division and disunity. And the, one of the questions that I posed Wednesday night, and I would pose it again to you, and I don't have the answer, I'm just throwing this out there, is that I wonder what the world makes of that. That this group of people who, who are supposed to be all about love and kindness and all, the, all this good stuff, that there are so many different churches and so many different denominations and so many different kind of ways of being Christian. I wonder how they perceive that. What that looks like to them to hear perhaps to hear one church say negative things about another church, to hear one minister say something negative about another minister. What does that do to the testimony, the the witness of that church? Well, I want us to take a look at a passage from John chapter 17. Jesus understood well that conflict and division were a major threat, if not the primary threat, to the church and its mission. And so in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, uh, the, that's my fault, the verses there should be John 17:20 20 to 26, I think. It doesn't go all the way up to 34. But I want to take a look at this because this is the prayer of Jesus for... He begins by praying for His disciples, but then He expands the scope of His prayer to all who will believe in Him. And that's us. That includes us. Until the end of time, that will include everyone who comes to believe in Jesus. Jesus is praying this prayer over us and for us. And let me just read it, and then we'll go back and talk about what the the different color text says. I pray also for those who will believe in Me, us, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So the text that's in blue, I mean, that's what he's asking for. He's asking for unity, he's asking for oneness among his followers. And this obviously is incredibly important. It must be because he's asking it and he's reiterating it in several ways here. The red text tells us what that looks like. Well, what does it mean that we're supposed to be one, that we have unity? That, that seems kind of subjective, you know. Um, but here's, here's how Jesus quantifies that. He says, Father, just like you and I are one, just like I'm in you and you're in me, May they be one like that. May they know that you've loved them even as you have loved me. That's pretty significant. I can't think of any higher uh, threshold to set than Christ would say, may the church be unified. And what I mean by unified is they would be like the Trinity. That they would love one another, that there would be a mutual kind of respect and kindness and selflessness. And then look at what's in green. This is, the, this is the end game. This is what Jesus says, the church needs to be unified and that looks like the way that the Father is connected to the Son so that the world may believe. So that the world may believe that you have sent me, that the Father has sent the Son. To let the world know. So Jesus is saying the same thing here and staggering it, but he's emphasizing that He wants unity, that what it looks like is like the Father and the Son, and the purpose of it, the end game, is so that the world will see that, that they will see the unity, they will see the love, and they will know, because of that witness, that God sent His one and only begotten Son. What an extraordinary prayer that Christ would lift up for for me and, and for you and for all who would come to believe in Him. So what does that mean for us as, a, as church members? What's our, what's our responsibility? I want to take a look at our, our primary text that, that the young ladies just read for us, Ephesians 4.3 in particular. It says, making every effort or being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now let's take those two words, uh, henotes in, in the Greek is unity, and, and then the word for bond, uh, sundesmos. And let's talk for just a second about what those two things mean, and we'll look at two other passages where, where each of those occur. First, for unity. Later in this very chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, later, Paul writes, and he's talking about that there are gifts given to equip saints and build up the body of Christ. He says, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity. So he's saying that's in, in verse four three, it's kind of like already there should be unity, but then we get to four thirteen and there's almost a not ness to this. That we have unity, and the unity that we have is a gift from, from God. It's absolutely a gift from God that despite our differences we might still be of one mind. That won't happen just because you and I are good folks or because we're extra bright, or because we're Americans, or anything else. It it, it won't happen. It will happen if it's a gift of the Spirit. But yet later he's saying, we're trying to come to the place of unity. It's something that we work hard for, or else it doesn't happen. The word for bond, sundesmos, it it also occurs in Colossians 3.14. Paul says this, Above all, above all, Put on love, the perfect bond of unity. Love is the perfect bond of unity. And this, this Greek word is a very strong word for, for bond. It's, it's the same word that you use for, for a prisoner being bound up. Now, I'm not a corrections officer, and I can't speak to, to, to that, but I can say we all know that when you, when you bind up a prisoner, you take that seriously. You don't just take some some thread and just kind of loop it around their wrist and say, oh, that's sufficient, that's fine. You don't just put rubber bands around it. You're doing that because this person is potentially dangerous. You're limiting their mobility and their their mobility because perhaps they'll do something to to escape or to harm someone if they're able to do that. So you take that pretty seriously. You, You bind them up with the consequences being that it's very serious if this doesn't work, if they're able to escape or get loose. So how serious is it for us as the church that the thing that binds us together, that locks us up, is this thing of love and, and peace? That we need, the, we need unity in the Spirit through a bond of peace. And commentators say you can talk about this bond of peace in one of two ways, and I think both are faithful. One is that peace itself is a bond. In other words, we come together in, in peace with one another and in, in this peace we are bound. You could also think about it like this. As an individual, I, if I have peace with Christ and if you have peace with Christ, then when we come together, it is that shared peace that gives us a bond that is deeper than any other bond. So there's a number of ways we can think about this. So, what is it in the church that really challenges this? And why is it so easy for churches to fall into conflict or into disunity? Well, one of the things that we know is so dangerous is the temptation to to gossip or the temptation to, to just be negative. And it seems like, you know, you can be negative in any context about anything, right? You can go into a restaurant and be looking for something to complain about, and you'll probably find it unless it's just the rare, just perfect experience. I mean, the waiter or waitress might be a little bit slow. It might be a little too crowded. It might be a little loud. There's going to be something there that could spur you toward negativity. Or in the home, if you're looking for something, uh, you can find it, I'm sure. You know, if you have children especially, there's a sock somewhere it shouldn't be or some trash somewhere it shouldn't be or a cup somewhere that it shouldn't be. We can, if if we're looking for those things, it's very hard to miss. In the church in particular, Um, conflict can be so detrimental. And Paul acknowledges this in Romans chapter 1. If you go back and look, there's a list of kind of unrighteous acts. And he puts gossip in there, right in the middle of of this list, because he knows that negativity in the church tears apart unity and it begins to render a church powerless. So there's just two things that we can do to really prevent that from, from happening, and that is, one, we, we ourselves commit not to be, being a, a source of gossip, and then also we commit to not hearing it. So if you're not saying it and you're not hearing it, then it kind of really puts down the flames. But if we're willing to say it and we're willing to entertain it and hear it among others, then it's kind of stoking the fire, and, and we've all seen how negative that can go quickly. So what do we do if we're a church and perhaps we're going to have disagreements? We're going to have differences, differences of thought and opinion. Uh, so when there begins to be a little conflict or something like that, does that mean that we've just you know, kind of blown it and we've lost hope and we need to go find another church? Well, no, because the air that we breathe is supposed to be an air of grace. And so that means that when I fall short or you fall short, we approach that relationship looking for reconciliation. Understanding that we want to to remain unified or return back to, to being unified. So forgiveness, forgiveness and unity come together so closely. Uh, there's a quote from Tom Rainer's book, I'm a Church Member, and he says this, Each local church is made up of imperfect members and imperfect pastors. We will make mistakes. We will all sin. Yes, we are all hypocrites. Christ loved us so much that He died on a cross to forgive us. And now, as He has forgiven us, so we must forgive others. It's essential to the unity of the church. Being willing to accept forgiveness and also offer forgiveness. If we're not willing to do that, then there's really no hope at achieving unity. It's hard to hold on to that, uh, though it may be so important. Think for a moment about some of the heroes of Scripture who ended up having... Great falls, moral collapses, and sin in their lives. Think for a moment about if they had paused before they went and, and did something that really altered the course of, of history in, in some places. David and Bathsheba, we'll just look at one example. He, he, he looked at his, at his neighbor and he, he had a feeling. And that feeling was that he wanted to go down a path that that was not good and was not right. What if he had called together a group of, of people and surrounded himself and said, I am having a moment of weakness. I, I am having a temptation. I, I'm having thoughts. I'm having a desire to do something. And surrounded himself with people who he trusted, who were, who were followers of God, who would have given him wise counsel. The proverb says so much about wise counsel and advisors and, and listening to them. Could it be that in that moment that the prayers and the encouragement and, and well, even the rebuke of those people around him would have led him down another course? I think it's possible. So I think that what we can learn from this is that in unity and accountability, there's a greater likelihood for the wisdom of the body, this body, one another, to prevent unity-destroying sinful behavior. It is, our, it is our sin and our isolation that begins to kind of impact or infect the body. So the more that we are together and, and uh, transparent and, and Christ-centered and praying and trusting and hoping and centering ourselves in God's Word, then it's almost like it's the antidote. I mean, it's the, it's the medicine that we need. It's the good news that we need. The grace. And so it's It prevents some of those things that might end up causing disunity. What does this have to do with our ministry? As we're called to come to this place to worship, to love one another, but then we're also, as this congregation knows very well, we're called to leave this place to go out into the community and even to the nations with the good news of Jesus Christ. Can we be on mission serving Christ and serving others if we are not... Unified. One of the great uh, things that that I really appreciate about one of our missions applications. This is the I pulled this off the missions application for Nicaragua. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take the time to read all this. Um, but what's right in the middle says instead of criticizing, I will be creative and supportive. Absolutely nothing can happen that can make me complain. This is a covenant that the the the. Uh, team members going to Nicaragua are supposed to read and sign and say I agree with this. Absolutely nothing can happen on this mission trip that would make me complain. Because see as we go and serve, if we're if we're going to to take if we're exporting love and we're we're showing up and we're we're going to talk about love and share love and serve, but yet I'm I'm saying a little bit of negativity about the leader questioning this or that or saying something about this, it begins to kind of eat away at the team, uh, the cohesiveness and our ability to minister in a united way and accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. This is just great. It's good missiology, the whole thing. And it's just a great philosophy for life, honestly. What if as members of Brookwood Baptist, we sat down with folks and said, Now, before you join, we just want you to know, we want you to sign. Think about this. There can be nothing that can happen that would make you complain. I mean, what a what a challenge! I mean, what a real challenge because uh, we know how toxic and how easy it is. Honestly, because again, we are all we make mistakes and we we don't you know we aren't perfect. The staff isn't perfect, um, and so it's just easy to find something to to critique, if you will, and then it just begins kind of to snowball. The thing that binds us together, the thing that binds us together, isn't correct doctrine. It isn't that we all think exactly the same about issues A, B, or C. It's that we, we hold and we cling to the love of Christ. And there is no more appropriate thing to do next than to approach this table because we do this acknowledging that Christ offered Himself up to be broken, to be torn, uh, so that we could be one. As we take the bread and as we take... The Jews, we are reminded that, that the brokenness of Christ is what makes us whole. So I want to say a, say a prayer over communion, and then we will, um, the musicians will play, and we'll invite you to come forward at that point. Uh, I believe we, we go around the, the wall and, and come in this way, take the bread and, and the juice. You can re- return to your seat and take that at your own time. But would you join me in prayer, and then we'll come forward and observe communion. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of communion, for the gift of oneness. We have no hope in our own strength of maintaining unity, but we receive it as a gift from you. And yet, on the other hand, we also commit ourselves to to loving one another. Like the Father loves the Son, that selflessness, the the mutual uh, love and respect Lord, as we come forward, we, we, we take the bread and we, uh, we remember what Jesus did, that he, his body was broken for us. And as we take this juice, we will remember that your blood was shed for us. And because of what you have done, we can, we can become one and we can take that message of unity and oneness and wholeness and restoration and reconciliation to the world. Bless us, Lord, now as we come and make us, make us one as we share this meal together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.